what are you expecting for in investments in AI for HR over the next year? And 62% are expecting an increase. That is a huge number. And so the question that's in front of us is, what are we gonna do about it? Hello everyone and welcome to Break the Wheel podcast with Kyle Lagunas here, our guest. Woo, holla holla, Kyle. Kyle, so good to see you and have you on the show. So Kyle is the head of transformation and a principal analyst at Aptitude Research and also host of your own podcast, Transformation Realness, which I love. Um, it's actually love. illustrious host of Transformation Realness and the head of strategy <laughs> at Aptitude, but we're gonna do oh this live, you know? Okay, well, let's dive in. We're gonna start with a segment we call Uncork and Unwind. So if you're listening to this during your day job, don't tell people that you're drinking, but otherwise, you can uncork and unwind with me. This is my wine, wink, wink, is it really wine or not? I'll let you all decide, Kyle knows, but I won't say anything. But this wine today is from France. So speaking of which, France has a 35 hour work week. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, 35 hours is still a lot. a lot. I don't understand like this glorification of hustle culture. People working 60 hours a week, that's 12 hours oh a day, Monday through Friday, or that's time on Saturday or Sunday. Like who made it a badge of honor, right? Like why are people proud that they're working crazy hours? I remember when I was at, um, in my early days, Google, like 2006, 2007, I woke up in the middle of the night, like speaking to yeah, because I was so overworked at the time. And like I said to myself, I'm going to live the rest of my life as if I were retired and have the job that I would want to have if I were retired. And I would tell people like, oh yeah, and I'm doing everything that I can to, to work 40 hours a week. And like, they would like judge me. Mm. Like somehow that was like not okay. And 40 like, is still a significant amount of time. That's still eight hours totally. every single day, right? I mean, look. Totally. I've worked really hard to have the opportunity to have the job that I have now. So I will say that there may be an element of either privilege or accomplishment or maybe a little bit of both that gives somebody the option to say, no, I'm not going to work that much. But I've had a lot of different jobs, you know, from working in customer service for an airline to being a market researcher. You must have now. gotten pooed on a lot in that role you know, I'm discussing, by the way. But like, <laughs> I don't know, like there's never been a place where I felt like there was like I couldn't get done what I needed to in 40 hours um, yeah. or that I should set a I should normalize working to the bone. You know, it's like one or the other, even if it was an environment where there was just too much shit going on, I would still be like, well, got to prioritize because I'm only working 40 hours this week. You know, it's just, yeah. It's crazy. And you know, so many of us, especially because a lot of us have gone through rifts recently. A lot of us are understaffed. We're all like the do more with less. That's like a thing now for everybody. Do more with less, like get creative, you know, work to other people's jobs instead of like the one that you were used to and still like put a smile on your face. It's insane. Um, which brings us to HR newsflash. Uh, so the Supreme Court uh, is beginning their next term. And I know that AI is something that we're thinking about as it relates to the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts on what's going on there and what's going on with AI? Well, first of all, this Supreme Court is illegitimate. True. And radicalized. Uh <laughs> 
But we're not here to talk politics today. Um, no, truly, um, I think that we need guidance. I mean, if we look at the state of AI in HR, it, we're gridlocked there because there is resistance to adoption that is largely connected to a lack of understanding of the risks associated with these use cases. We don't know how to com ensure compliance with federal regulations when we don't have clear guidance for federally regulated uses of AI. Um, you talk to the EEOC and they'll say the laws are still the same. You can't discriminate against, discriminate against these protected classes. And this is what discrimination looks like. But still, I think that the federal government, at least the United States, has left a lot of the best practice to come out of the private sector. And it's kind of like a I don't know, cat and, game of cat and mouse. And the only people who are losing is HR. Totally. It's the wild, wild west. And even knowing what AI you can and can't use or what AI, you know, should or shouldn't. I mean, obviously, bias is a huge con part of the conversation. Um, and at the same time, you know, if you pass in to, to ChatGPT, for example, like here is this uh, performance feedback. Can you actually reduce the bias in my language? It can actually succeed at that task. Yeah. And so, you know, it gets a bad, I mean, obviously, if, if misused or you kind of ignore the fact that all the data that populates AI is powered by people and people are biased, like you can't ignore that, but you can actually use it on the other side to help reduce bias if you give attention to that. I think so too. I mean, look, the bo the boogie bias man, I'm sorry, the bias boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. The bias boogeyman is, we're going to have to move past it. You know, I mean, if you look at what these technologies do, they really do model off of existing and past behaviors. And you should be auditing, if we're talking about hiring practices as an example, you should be auditing your hiring practices to understand how are we making the, these decisions? Are we being as objective as possible? You know, are we prioritizing and referencing the right information to make the best decisions? And if not, we need to make sure we have it. I think that's kind of like the catch-22. It's not that people are afraid of the AI being biased. It is that they are, I think, more afraid of actually their current processes having bias and it modeling off of those and, you know, and it being auditable and a thousand percent. Right. And so it's not like, oh, yeah. oh the AI's bias is like, well, it's there. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I think looking at matching and scoring algorithms as an example, you do need to understand how these algorithms are built and what data points they look for, because there are examples that we've seen in major offerings in the market today where these, these tools are using things that they're trying to infer, things like teamwork and communication skills and drive, these really ambiguous concepts. And they're looking at things like, did they play team sports? Were they part of a sorority or a fraternity? And the sororities and fraternities, by the way, historically have not been very friendly to people of diverse backgrounds, right? And so oh it's, yeah. it's just like, yeah, the AI itself can, can model bias and it can introduce bias because it's trying to give you the information you th it thinks you need. But that's why I, act I actually think that's a stronger argument to utilize AI in HR because we have to optimize for these things. We have to solve for these problems anyway, right? Let's use technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. And probably it's good to have folks on your team that uh, are 
educated and trained and knowledgeable, not only on things like cognitive bias and all of the, the various things that I think we in HR know well, but in addition, representation and experience from their own personal backgrounds that share a little bit of that diversity of perspective that you need to be able to even see some of the biased stuff that's happening in front of you that, you know. So reality check, um, AI and HR, I mean, we already kind of discussed some of this, but you have any other uh, juicy tidbits in terms of your own experience? Ooh, you know, yeah. I know that you've been studying this. I hope so you're thirsty. There's a lot of juice. Check. Yeah. Um, so we actually just finished. Squeeze the juice. Yeah. If the, for those of you who don't know, uh, and I don't expect everybody to, because Aptitude's a boutique research firm where we focus on HR transformation, talent technologies. And I just finished this study of um, the adoption of AI in HR. And we have found that there's been a significant step back in the HR leadership about their approach to AI. And I, I think it's connected to the rapid advancement of new AI capabilities, like generative AI as an example. Just gonna have people taking pause, right? So the interesting thing here though, is it is like, cause we ask like, why, you know, what are the obstacles to adoption? And although like concerns with bias is high up there, the number one reason why we are seeing this slow in adoption are gaps in HR's understanding of AI and automation. So it's mm. not necessarily that they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want bias, although that is like one of the top three. The number one by a significant margin is actually just gaps in understanding. You know, the thing that's interesting to me there, David, is we also see I asked, you know, what are you expecting for in investments in AI for HR over the next year? And 62% are expecting an increase. That is a huge number, right? 62% expecting an increase in investment. And so the question that's in front of us is, what are we going to do about it? If we are yeah. recognizing that the biggest obstacle to adoption is a gap in understanding, but we also see in a year like this year where we've had to cut and save in a lot of different places, we are seeing a huge increase in investment in this specific area. We're going to have to figure some stuff out, right? We're going to actually have to lean into our ignorance, which HR I don't think is always very good at. Oh, We're yeah. going to have to try to really get an understanding of what these capabilities are and how they work. You had said earlier like maybe we need to have like a person in HR who can help us understand this. Like, well, yeah, we do need subject matter experts, deep subject matter experts in different areas like operations and process and tech. I think that uh, like AI literacy is a new core competency for HR. So it can't be one person or one team that understands these things. The entire rank and file of the HR organization has to at least be AI literate. What do you think? I love that. AI literacy, like that, that term, that concept is not a concept that I've heard much of at all. And yet it's obvious in, in retrospect that it's something that we should be talking about. It's something that we should be talking with our teams about. It's something that we should be screening for when we're hiring new candidates who are coming to join a team. If we're adopting, you know, 60% of us are going to be adopting new HR technologies powered by AI. My gosh, if we don't have that HR literacy, I imagine that could be a dangerous... Well, here's what happens, right? We, you ask people like, what are you trying to accomplish with AI over the next year? And they'll say something like improving employee experience, which, because that sounds nice. It's a catch-all. There's a lot of stuff there. But then when you ask them, for those who actually did invest in those areas over the last year, which we did ask this, there was something like 6% 
that said that they actually had a high impact in employee experience as a result of their AI for HR programs. And so it's like, mm-hmm. if you don't know exactly what you can do and how you're going to do it, you're not going to actually have an impact. You're just going to spend that budget that you've been given, which guess what? It comes up on the chopping block whenever we have another downturn. So my God, right. It's like, we never have the resources that we need in HR and talent. We are always overburdened, right? But then here we have an example to significantly upgrade our operating capacity and I don't know if we're going to make the most of this opportunity. Wow. Well, is wow. That well I hope news off the juicy. Oh, no, that's very hot news. And all I can say is I hope that more organizations are willing to take a little bit of the risk to be able to adopt some of this AI technology in a way that could be helpful to them. You know, I know for us at, at Confirm, like we automate the busy work of engagement survey summarization and you know, managers who've written their whole performance feedback, being able to summarize what they say at the end, like those are the the kinds of busy work that we're excited to help automate. And I think a lot of folks, honestly, right now will benefit a lot just by having AI automate a lot of that busy work, the summarization and stuff like that. And as long as they're mentioning in the prompts, like address bias, surface bias, you know, something related to bias, like, you know, that, that won't be. Well, you know, to that point. I'm, rec- I'm it's part of this research that we're doing. I'm recommending that we evaluate AI capabilities, AI use cases differently than we've evaluated HR tech in the past. Whereas if I came to you and I said, David, could can confirm, help me and automate and introduce AI into my performance management process? You'd say yes, right? Okay. But I already assume that that is like the answer. The question I need to ask is how, you know, in what ways? And so we're recommending that you evaluate use cases on three different factors. How how risky is it? What risk is associated with this use case? How complex is this use case in terms of technologically, but also like conceptually, how complex is this going to be? And then how, uh, how impactful is it? You know, so it's like, I'm not going to ask you, can you introduce AI and automation into my my employee uh, performance process? I'm going to say, can you create a summary of my manager's one-on-ones with their employees throughout the year, you know, right. and help, and can you make it easier for them to put together a summary report for performance? And by the way, I haven't demoed confirm yet, so I'm just, I have no idea how it works. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're, you're talking up my alley. Okay, you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not just going through a traditional RFP and saying, can you support employee performance reviews? The answer is yes. Right. But the what you can build in product and what I can actually deliver in my organization is different, right? Absolutely, I love it. Well, and speaking, you clearly understand a lot in uh, HR and AI. And so that lets us get a nice smooth transition to this next segment called People Misunderstand. So Kyle, what do people misunderstand about your job? Well, I think a lot of people look at analysts in the space as just fancy influencers. And I will say, like, just being very honest with myself, there is an element of influencer marketing to what we do. But the reason why we have influence in the market is because we spend our our day jobs studying innovation cycles, speaking with practitioners and and uh, and leaders in HR and technology, looking at um, you know the gaps in adoption and innovation across the vendor ecosystem and the day to day of HR. 
you know, we actually are doing qualitative and quantitative research about what's really going on in the space. And so we're not just coming out with like strong opinions loosely held. It is informed perspectives and carefully crafted understanding of the market. We're not just soothsayers. We're not just weather men or women, you know, but <laughs> or they are not data scientists either. It's there really is because yeah. like I don't know what you went to school for. I was originally going to school for things. creative writing and philosophy. You know, I've got very different skill set. This is an opportunity for me to lean into research that I love and, you know, conversations that I also really value and, um, yeah, kind of operating at the intersection of all the above. I love that. Well, discovering that you have a creative in your backgrounds is another thing that we share, like the, the science plus the creative. I actually, I studied computer science. I studied human computer interaction, but I also studied voice performance. I studied opera singing. Oh my God, really? Yeah, I have a degree in opera from from Carnegie Mellon along with CS and everything else. It's very random. So you can write the content of an opera or musical and I could sing it for you. I'm really into that. (laughs) Let's collab. I love it. Oh, we're totally. We're already I don't know if the world is ready. Honestly, the world's. Oh no, I'm. I'm not even ready for this conversation right now. Can you tell? Okay, so this brings us to our next segment called "Break the Wheel" or "Break a Heel." <laughs> so I am going to give you five things on the, on this particular category, which the category today is uses of AI, because we have an AI theme today. AI is hot, so uses of AI, and you're going to tell me. Break the wheel as in this is innovative. We are breaking out of the cycle of awfulness or break a heel, which girl, you know what that means. So number one, uses of AI, automating busy work. Break the wheel, baby. I mean, honestly, just like operating capacity is our biggest like Achilles heel in HR and talent. So let's do more with less. Free people up. Uh Uh-huh. Amen. Creating engagement survey questions. There's a little nuance here, but I think it breaks the wheel, especially because I... Girl, you got to pick one. Breaks, break the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm saying break the wheel. Breaks the wheel. But I think it just, okay, okay. Uh, it's good to remove any bias out of the questions themselves. HR is not very mm-hmm. good at creating quantitative research questions. So I think break the wheel. Mm-hmm. All right. Giving, giving as in it's giving... Mm-hmm. Performance feedback. Oh, no, 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 no. Break a heel. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I No Gen AI is even has the context to understand performance, really. So, new, new. Amen. I agree with you there. We will we'll never do that in our product. All right. Summarizing performance review content. Well, now that breaks the wheel. That is literally the most obvious use case for Gen AI in performance. I mean, I don't know how many direct reports you've had in like at the at the most, but as soon as you get past three, trying to put together meaningful feedback for somebody and summarizing every conversation you've had throughout the last 12 months, eh -eh, no way. So, you know, we actually have this very interesting stat. I'm going to truth bomb y'all. So we have the data on how long people spend on their self-reflection and performance reviews versus how long managers spend on it. The average person spends anywhere from, I know, you, you all know where this is going. The average person spends about 15 to 30 minutes on their self-reflection, putting everything together, their accomplishments, yada, yada, yada. And most platforms then it just disappears and you never see that stuff again. 
Guess how long the average manager spends reading those summaries. Just Re- just reading? Yeah. I would say two minutes. Seven and a half seconds. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I mean, think about it when you do your resume reviews, okay? When you're trying to hire, right? You're going boom, 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 boom. And a lot of it's because you're like, all right, I know this. I know this. I know this. You're skimming. That's just the re- that's the reality of the data that we see from the, the just the session logs that we well, have. So, yeah. I think we have to, to contextualize that that information. I mean, as a, as a content creator, you know, I, I write a lot of research. It takes a lot longer to create and to write because you're curating your thoughts, articulating your thoughts, than it does to consume content, right? It's like how long does it take to write a book versus read a book? But still, seven seconds, that's so sad. That's like not how long it takes to read, <laughs> you know? I know. It is sad. Uh, but hey, like I, my heart also goes out to the managers. A lot falls on these people to like, totally. you know, they really are the backbone of most high-performing companies. Absolutely. Okay, last one. Break the wheel, break a heel. Uses of AI reducing bias. I think break the wheel. We, for okay. the reason we talked about before, uh, I yeah. mean, if you can't if you can't actually get any sort of data around like potential adversity impact of your current processes, you can't calibrate. You have to audit your current process, you know, and and understand. And I think it's just like being ready to just rip that bandaid off because I guarantee you it's probably not as bad as you think. Like it's probably totally. not as bad. Totally. Probably. I guess every organization is different, but hoping the best for yours. Yeah, yeah, right. So there are a lot of wheel breakers in there, which brings us to wheel breaker of the week. So this week, our wheel breaker is KPMG, who offered video game training to some employees. And from that video game training, and I'm I'm a big gamer myself, okay, I'm a nerd. uh, They brought in 16% more clients and 36% more in revenue generating fees. What are your thoughts on that, Kyle? So I haven't seen the specific use case, so I don't know what was involved in the training. Gamified HR has been a thing since like 2011, I want to say. I wonder if it's just like the effort behind this to try and make this more interesting and engaging was enough for people to be like, yeah, sure, I'll tune into this. I can have some fun with this. I mean, I haven't seen like David, I I mean, I play a lot of video games too. I have not seen in the corporate environment any game that I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, but it's more like, yeah, well, it's better than just waiting for me to click next on this like lesson, <laughs> video lesson um, to actually interact with something. So, yeah. You know, I was actually in in gaming for a while when I was a kid and I wanted to do computer science because I was like, I love video games. I want to cool. make them myself, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so um, we and we had um, this amazing uh, person named Amy Jo Kim. She uh, does fantastic work in gamification. And one of the first things I learned from working with her as we were trying to gamify our experience in a in a non game product was, mm. you know, she actually doesn't like the term gamification or at least she didn't at the mm. time. But um, and but what she preferred was systems for sustained engagement. And ultimately, yeah. really, right. That's what you're trying to build when you gamify something. So I I love seeing more of that in the in the workplace. Obviously, like white hat version, not black hat version, because you know people can do all sorts of crazy stuff. But um, fascinating. I mean, that's like the outcome that you're that you're going for, mm. right? Um, I really like it. Exactly. Awesome. Okay, 
Next segment. This one's called Wisdom on the Rocks. I don't know why it's called on the rocks because I'm not gonna put ice in my, well, maybe, maybe it'll be sangria time next time. Anyway, Wisdom on the Rocks. Can you share with us a key piece of HR wisdom or a truth bomb focusing on a solution rather than the problem maybe, um, or not? Uh, yeah, let me think here. So, wisdom on the rocks. I think that it's like closing that knowledge gap. Maybe we have already covered this, but mm-hmm. I think that we have this incredible opportunity in front of us with this huge investment coming in AI for HR. Another counterpoint. So I said 62% increase, anticipated increase from HR leaders for AI and HR. I also asked this question about how supportive are executive leadership is executive leadership in your organization for AI and HR. And it was almost the same number, 61% mm-hmm. said that their executives are very supportive of AI mm-hmm. and HR. So I think that if we look at the biggest gap here is that knowledge gap. It really is. We got to close it. If I see, if I see, it sounds like like opposing trends. You know, it's like innovation cycles in AI are absolutely out of control. They're they're getting tighter and tighter, and the impact of these innovation cycles is getting bigger and bigger. And resistance from HR is remained steady. It's not like they're anti. It's just that they don't know, and they're leaning kind of into their traditional role. It's not going to work. There's totally, we, we need to like embrace our internal Brene Brown and like dare greatly and be vulnerable and try this new thing and like be willing to take risks. I mean, obviously easier said than done, right? The whole, nobody gets fired for, uh, for using IBM or whatever. It's like, sure. But oh my gosh, if we're trying to do more with less and we're really this scared, this hands off with AI, we're going to fall behind. Yeah, you know, I mean, just probing at it, I, I think that there might be a couple of things. Just the bandwidth problem already. Like, we, we've we had a really hellacious five years. Because remember, actually, burnout was at a record high going into the COVID um, pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then we had this first, like, what, like two months of COVID where we thought maybe the world was going to collapse. And we just ended up watching Tiger King and making uh, banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I love that you call it the COVID. Uh, well, the COVID, the COVID pandemic, pandemic, I said, you know. Um, <laughs> the, the COVIDia. I kind of um, want to call it the COVID. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, <laughs> but really, you know, I mean, it's been a really shitty several years for HR and talent, practitioners and leaders. And guess what? Who was on the chopping block first this year? TA. And we busted our asses, man. We worked so, so hard over the last two years, especially, and we got cut, right? And so, like, maybe there's burnout, maybe there's change fatigue, maybe there's just like, I'm going to ground, I'm gonna just stay head down and get my job done. Like, I just, the quiet quitting, I think the reason why you see so much resentment for the concept in the world uh, in our sphere is because HR is like, Oh really? You want a quiet quit? I didn't have that option, you know? Exactly. So now they're like, Oh, and now you're going to bring in AI and automate my job. It's like, well, I know, you know, it's a misconception. A lot of of those folks, totally. A lot of, a lot of the folks in in, in TA were these quiet contributors, right? Who are like busting their butts, getting a lot of important work done. And then all of a sudden like job evaporates. It's so dysfunctional. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of a, a lighter hearted note with this segment, um, which is intended to entertain you all with a little bit of personal humiliation called What Should I Have Done? So this segment, I'm gonna share a brief embarrassing story about something I did at work, and you're gonna tell me what you think. Oh, I'm I so done. nervous about this one. Don't worry. All right. So uh, this was at my last job, doctor.com. I was uh, actually, I was a CTO there, but they used to call me chief therapy officer for, for a reason. You know, I had 20 years of therapy, whatever. Um, and uh, so sometimes I gave talks there. Sometimes, you know, executives give talks on things that they're passionate about, whatever. And I like to talk about some of the like business meets humanity kind of intersections about like being vulnerable at work. You know, a lot of the Brene, Brene Brown stuff was like really hot at the time and still is in my book. Yeah. But um and right yeah and uh, so, anyway there you go and so uh and i <laughs> this this i do not call vulnerability this is just i call being dumb but uh you know they were located in new york i was in california i come visit the office i want to like connect with people and so you know it was the one chip challenge time you familiar with the one chip challenge no okay so it's basically like the hottest chip it's like a single like dorito basically that's like sealed now you're taking my language right but it's like so hot it's like whatever a billion quadrillion whatever scoville units it's like so insanely hot that you know it's like you should sign a waiver kind of hot and so um somebody had this one chip challenge and like they knew i'm from new mexico originally and like apparently when i was a kid i used to just like gobble like spicy jalapenos when i was like two and people would stare at me whatever and i love spicy food you know i'm on the spectrum which apparently maybe has something to do with that too who knows anyway so um, I was like, oh, I can do this one chip challenge. And so I took the chip and I just ate it. And they like all stared at me like crazy because I guess you're not supposed to eat the whole thing. You're just supposed to like take a little tiny bite. And then later on, I was going to give this talk about self-care and taking care of yourself, right? So I have this one chip. I start feeling really awful. I'm then going into give this talk in front of like 40 employees about how to handle self-care at the workplace, et cetera. And then I start to feel this like eruptive, painful, awful feeling as I'm giving this talk on self-care and taking care of yourself. And I'm starting to like feel like, oh my God, I am not going to like survive this. I was like, it was, it was just a horrible mess. And so in the moment, I was like, what do I do? I didn't know if I was going to like go to the hospital or what. And I said, um, you know, since this is a self-care talk, I'm going to be vulnerable and share. I did the one chip challenge earlier and I am having some real stomach issues. <laughs> and so I'm going to need to pause this to go, to go to the restroom, not to use it, but I had to lay on the floor. And like, I took like my, my shirt and I pulled it up and I laid on the floor on the cold floor just to like numb the painful burning in my stomach oh my God. and stayed there for about 10 minutes. And then I went back and I finished the talk. So that's the story. Kyle, what should I have done? I think you should have just powered through, honestly. <laughs> You looked un That's fair. unprofessional. <laughs> it was. It was. It Wrong was kind of vulnerability, my friend. Through. Wrong kind of vulnerability. If you had that one chip, would you have powered through? You think you could have powered through that? No, absolutely not. But I also <laughs> don't do crazy dumb shit at work. You know? That's fair. That's I mean, fair. I do silly I mean, stuff, but not. A, I mean, no. So I have two. My two <laughs> favorite Greek proverbs is know thyself. And nothing too much. And, mm. you know, I think that you 
overestimated yourself. And um, I think that you took too much. Yeah. You know, I like to say everything in moderation, which is very similar, except I like to say everything in moderation, including moderation itself. Fine. (laughs) No, it was just one chip. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I can house an entire bag of Doritos, my friend, so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's a fascinating book called The Dorito Effect that explains why it's crazy science, just like side plug. Um, Okay, moving on. New segment horror story of the week so we're going to tell a real life yeah. horror story or rather kyle you're going to share your real life horror story of the week okay so i was at a major major industry event last week and two of my girlfriends were they were calling in a night and they were having a little chit chat in the elevator lobby at the official hotel for this event and so these ladies are you know very cute you know like very put together very professional both in their late 30s early 40s and very professional right and uh, i mean they were going to bed before me so they were definitely on their best behavior Hmm. and while they were waiting for their elevator a gentleman in his late 50s early 60s clearly inebriated and asked how is your evening going and they said, oh, it's it was good. We're calling it a night. He's like, well, mine could be a lot better. And they're like, how? They're like, okay. And he's like, if one or both of you would join me. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's so awful. Oh. And the reason why I'm telling this story is not just to make everybody's skin crawl, but because we are in the heart of conference season and we need to be looking out for each other. Absolutely. Isn't that absolutely appalling? Imagine if he happened to be staying on the same floor as one of them and they had to walk out with, you know, like, do they both get out together then and, and make sure the, it was just like completely unacceptable. And I think that we just need to be diligent and make sure that whether we are in San Francisco or Las Vegas or Paris or New York City or, or any Orlando, it doesn't matter that we're looking out for our people. And it's not just like looking out for the ladies, which I always am. It's looking out for each other, right? You don't need to have that extra drink because you're literally about to fall down or like whatever you should not be walking into that expo hall because you looked high as a kite you know like i've stu- you know oh it's God. just let's watch out for each other because it's dangerous out there i'm really glad that you bring this topic up Kyle, because it's really awkward and uncomfortable sometimes to talk about like conference life but the reality is like all of us have like that personal networker that wants to impress people that wants to be friendly that sometimes might lead us to drink too much or spend too much time out or you know even sometimes go beyond the boundaries that we set for ourselves ahead of time and having support there having people go hey you shared that boundary earlier like let me help you stay honest with yourself like so important it really is and i think that you you spelled it out so well there too it's like we're trying to be friendly. We're trying to network. We're, we're at these events in order to engage. Right. And it's just, and it's not missness. I don't even know if that gentleman was a part of the convention that we were at. Right. It's just, you really never know. Wild. Well, moving on because, Oh my gosh, that's upsetting and crazy. And yet I can see why it would happen. We're going to go to a segment called Wobbly Wheel of the Week. So the Wobbly Wheel of the Week 
In a leaked memo, Shopify CEO Toby Lutke, with a umlaut, put limits on employees having side hustles, saying Shopify requires unshared attention. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. It comes back to, we said this at the beginning, when we're talking about the work week. Enough with the hustle. Okay. That's one, that's one half of it. Cause I'm, I'm not just yep. coming for the people who have hustles. The other half is, Hey, CEO, do you know if you're paying people enough? Do you know if they're just trying to over extend themselves or are they having to take on these hustles to make rent or to pay for their mortgage, which rates are absolutely out of control or, you know, or whatever it is. We have never had a wage gap this high since I think like the 20s, right? Yeah. And so have a little bit of self-awareness. Check your fucking privilege. Sorry. But then also make sure that this message has to be taking care of people, not just condemning them for doing what they need to to get ahead. Absolutely. Like it's why are we penalizing our employees for needing to make ends meet and have a side hustle to be able to do that if they have to? You know, that's wild. Well... New segment, Water Cooler Whispers. So this is drawing a little bit from like word on the street. If you haven't already been able to tell, I am pulling a little bit of inspiration from Bravo, what, watch what happens live. So some anonymous gathering insights, confessions, or stories. Is there any water cooler whisper that you want to share today? Hmm. I mean, I hear that there's <laughs> a season two of something happening. I'm like, wait, what uh, do we have just, planned for this? Well, I did yeah, hear like, oh. <laughs> that the premiere ultimate show in HR tech and the world of work. It's a, it's a podcast called Transformation Realness, um, has recently announced its second season to be launching in early November, um, which is salacious, honey. It is juicy. It is dramatic. And it is full of heart. So yes, I absolutely. I saw the the uh, your YouTube clip of the of the season two preview video, and all I can say is you got to watch till the end because it's absolutely hilarious, and you clearly have like real quality people doing your production because I can only aspire to talented that. people attract talented friends. It's just how it goes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, we got a couple more segments here. Uh, first one, HR speak funny. So we are going to pick a term that we've heard a lot of us use and we're going to make fun of it a little bit. So this one is boomerang employee. I don't know why this is funny to you. It's very functional. <laughs> like, it, it's a literal, I think it's hilarious. It's, just it's like I'm going to take the employee and just like throw them across and just like wait well, for them there, to like, fly back. There is back you know? Like who's throwing. You know, yeah. Like where did it come from? It's like we were all like down under and being like, let's just throw <laughs> our employees away and watch. I mean, to be fair, boomerang is actually kind of a good description because that's yeah. usually what happens. People just throw their employees out and then they expect them to come back. And boomerangs, just like some people, have no choice because maybe the pay was good even though they got treated like poo and so they end up having to come back because there's no choice so maybe there's a couple of different things to it i mean like if you look in it, it depends on your job right sometimes it is like you're just checking people out the window because you don't know how to keep them like satisfied and engaged but in like in sales and in consulting and you know some professional services it actually, you do have people that come in at like as an inside salesperson and they just, all they need to do is grind, grind, grind to get through that queue and, and build up some success and get, you know, some experience. And, and then they're going to hit a ceiling with you 
because they where they came in. So they're going to go out to the partner ecosystem. Dell did this in a great way. Um, and you know then they go out into your partner ecosystem and then they come back after three years because they've got you know regional sales experience or uh, you know they they've been managing a, a team of, of inside salespeople, you know. So it actually it could be that intentional. I think it wasn't necessarily intentional to begin with, but HR leaders in some of these organizations, they lean into these trends and they say, well, what's going on? Why do people keep leaving at this period? Oh, because they need to leave to go and get the experience or the raise that they want, and then they can come back in, right? And and they're worth paying. You know, We know we can pay them that much now because they've gone and proven that out somewhere else. So I like boomerang a lot, whether it is chucking people out the window or sending them <laughs> off, sending them off to get experience and you know pay increases, um, whatever it is. I think that it makes sense. You you remind me of that research that people who end up moving jobs every two years end up getting paid way more because you know it seems like the only way these days to get paid more is to have to leave and then come back. So. You throw out the boomerang, maybe it's a wooden boomerang when it comes out. It's a bling bling boomerang when it comes back. You know? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. Final segment. This one's called Decline to Comment. And yes, I am grabbing this one. It has a different name with Andy Cohen. But we're going to ask you three questions. The royal we. I'm going to ask you three <laughs> questions. And you can only decline to comment to one of them. Okay. And I'm going to go in order. So if you decline the first one or the second one, you're going to have to answer the next one. Okay. So... Number one, what was your most challenging job and why? This one's easy and I will answer it. My work at General Motors, being a part of a talent transformation or uh, project in talent acquisition, it was so challenging. Um, I mean, A, because transformation is never easy anywhere, um, but just because there was so much work to be done, not just at the project level, but people management level, partnership with different functions within and beyond HR. It was just a beast. So that one is absolutely the most challenging. And I have so much respect for my, my practitioner friends as a result. Okay. Number two, who was your most disappointing boss and why? Girl. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I thought I was going to decline this one, but I'm going to answer this one. So uh, my Ooh. very first job covering the HR technology space, I was actually a blogger at a company called Software Advice. And my manager was, um, he, he led like all the content marketing team. And um, they had a they had a, a, a method for the program. Like every program, I covered HR. Someone covered supply chain. Somebody covered construction. They wanted the same methods to play out in every single industry. And I, I mean, he would be visibly shaking. He was so angry with me sometimes because I would fight him tooth and nail, saying HR is different. HR is different. And it was relationship driven and it was like being a deep expert and not just churning out blogs all the time. And he fought me and I ended up getting fired and Ooh. yeah, um, which I laughed all the way home because um, I felt good about it. But it was <laughs> from that job that my friend John Sumser said, you know what, Kyle, you have an opportunity now. You can stay in marketing and content or you could pursue this as an analyst and keep going deeper and building more relationships. And guess what I chose? Analyst. 
I love it. Yeah. Well, clearly you made the right choice. Yeah. Love it. And so did my old manager. He, he, I was not right for them. It's fine. There you go. Sometimes, you know, these things are meant to be, right? One door closes, et cetera. Yeah. All right. Last one. Which company have you worked with who you think is most heading in the wrong direction? Decline to comment, honey. No. We (laughs) are friends. We are friends (laughs) with everyone around here. That's what keeps the lights on. (laughs) There you go. Good call. Very, very strategically placed de- declination. So there you yeah. go. All right. Well, with that, we are at the end of our Break the Wheel podcast. I want to say number one, woo-woo. Yes, cheers. I want to say cheers to change. You know, dozens of countries, including Ireland, Spain, and the UK, have tested a four-day work week with overwhelmingly positive results. Businesses that participated in a six-month trial in the UK, which ended in December of this last year, said switching to a four-day work week improved productivity, morale, and team culture. So with that, I say cheers to cha- cheers to change. Cheers to you, Kyle Lagunas. You are fantastic. Love your bubbly, amazing personality, as well as like, oh my gosh, all of the knowledge that you have on AI and everything else. Thank you so much for participating. And uh, thanks for coming. Yeah. I love it. Thanks for inviting me. And if anybody wants to connect, please find me on LinkedIn. I'm really geeky for this stuff. I actually love it. And I hope to see you guys out on the road. David, I will see you next week in Las Vegas. Yes. See you in Las Vegas. Check out Kyle on Transformation Realness Season 2. Popping up very, very soon. I'm actually going to check it out. Watch the YouTube video online. Don't forget to like and subscribe and have an awesome rest of your week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Break the Wheel podcast. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Join us again for more insightful conversations.